Hello, everybody, and welcome to an extra special episode of Two-Headed Game Master. I'm Cosmo, the first head. And I am Dane, the second head of Two-Headed Game Master. You can tell I'm taking this seriously. Very seriously. Well, this is a serious episode. This is a big deal. Two-Headed Game Master is a podcast about writing, designing, running, and playing role-playing games, where we discuss our favorite hobby, share our thoughts with you, and play some games sometimes. Uh, today, we're going to be kind of talking about like all of those things oh, I combined. Gonna, I thought you were going to set me up with the regular, what we would be talking about. Well, I'm going to, but I want to, so writing, designing running and playing we're not we're not playing anything today but we're talking about all of those ideas all the things that we talk about on this show Mm -hmm. we're talking about all of them at once today because well what are we talking about well what we're talking about needs no introduction (laughs) not because we forgot to write one but because we've talked about it a lot Mm -hmm. afterlife yes our original setting and mechanics Role-playing game. We did it. Yeah, we did it. We've been talking about it for a while, uh, and we're releasing this episode because it's coinciding with the launch of our you know, first full-length role-playing game product. It's going to be so embarrassing when the launch is delayed and this episode comes out. <laughs> but that- we're going to... We're going to power through you know what? and gonna, imagine that... We're going to make it happen. That it yeah. releases on time, very close to this episode's release. You know Days. what we're doing? We're manifesting. We're manifesting. Yeah. Our destiny. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what? how are we going to do this? So, what we're going to talk about first, um, and we're, we're very excited about this because it's going to be a little bit self-indulgent. We're just going to tell you a lot about this thing that we've been working on a long time. We're this has spill been our, our purse, yeah. empty our pockets, um, part show of the you, kimono. Show you last night's dinner, all the 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 idioms yeah. for all the idioms that out. are a little bit gross. Um, because this is this is the thing that we've been working on for a long time. It's the thing the catalyst of this whole fucking podcast. Yeah. This is how we got started before we were a podcast about game mastering, before we were game masters at all. Um we had an idea. We yeah, we had an idea. So, so what, we're going to talk about our history. Yeah. How we came up with this, where we came from, how we got to this point. Um then we're going to talk about the uh fictional history. We're going to pitch you basically the the setting that we've come up with the original role playing setting that we've been we've been playing in for a long time and we've been you know getting artwork together for mm-hmm. it we've been creating stuff for it for years we've been writing fiction in the universe we've been working on this th- this has been our main thing for the last like four or five years um, so we're gonna highlight it yeah we're so, gonna I don't. Uh, I forgot what the acronym is. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna highlight our unique selling points. Unique selling yes. points. That's what USPs. Our USPs, for. because uh, in addition to this being you know our first like original thing, our big debut in the space of indie role playing stuff. Um, we think we've done some interesting things that set this apart from other similar products. 
So we want to talk to you about that because we you think you should play it. Yeah, that's we think these are the things that are that are going to make you excited to um, to play in this system, which again is going live. Uh, and we're going to tell you about that at the end of this episode. But you know, check our website. That'll be. Um, That'll be where you find mm-hmm. where to purchase this and the big like announcement. Or you stumble across of, it on your own, perhaps on our our selling stores, platforms, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's gonna go. But so, anyway, let's begin. Us. Let's talk about us. Yeah, the history of this. Well, let's talk about you and me. Yeah, baby. That's yep. <laughs> the song, starting the song. All right. So we are. If you haven't picked this up, you haven't been listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like stories and media. We consume a shitload of it. Shows, mm-hmm. TV, books, movies, poems-ish. <laughs> I don't think we ever talked about a poem on the show, but that's another form of media. Yeah, I, it is a thing. But that, that's the point. We like it. We consume lots of it. And, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, when you when you consume a lot of like you know fantasy sci-fi stuff when you're in this space at all you start to think about like well what would i want to create you play video games you think about like it'd be cool if it was this it'd be you know right and there's, what, what if this idea existed there's a bunch of generalizations of like you know oh you like high fantasy low fantasy you know gritty sci-fi fantasy sci-fi um post-apocalyptic that's what we're here to talk about today, mm-hmm. because afterlife is a post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic settings really had a draw for me, uh, just because I think it's really interesting, and like it fits in. You know, it has to do with my worldview and whatever that we're not going to get into, but like picking up the pieces, what comes after? Because like you know. We're living in a society here that has norms and laws and all these social constructs built over thousands of years. What happens when it all ends? Yeah. And then what comes next? What comes next? And then what it looks like. I also have, you know, for as long as it's been a thing, you know, since I saw an edited version of Mad Max on television when I was a kid this uh, this idea of like oh this is this is the world after the world ends you know and the the way like the way what comes next uses the things from the past the way you build out of it the the stuff that remains you know like the landmarks the 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 ruined buildings the the roads whatever all of the 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 incredibly rich environmental storytelling of a post-apocalyptic mm. setting is is just like it's something that I've been drawn to as long as I've known it existed. I'm trying to think what was my first exposure to post-apocalyptica? I can't I want to say Mad Max but like I don't believe that's true. Yeah. Well, I think I, I can tell you it's not actually true for me. My very first exposure to it is a little weird. Um, but when I was a when I was a very young kid, I went to Universal, the the theme park in mm-hmm. California, and I saw the Waterworld display that they have. Might they have, have been a Waterworld. Big old show and I had not seen Waterworld or Mad Max, mm-hmm. but at Universal Studios 
park, they have a, you know, a gigantic pool with a bunch of, like, stages and set pieces and shit on it. Like, uh, you know, like a stage at SeaWorld, kind of. And they do a, like, Waterworld show with a bunch of zip lines and pyrotechnics and people, like, shooting shotguns at each other and... You know, dying Explosions. and falling off into the water. Yeah, like an explosion happens and the stunt performers, they get blasted off and they jump into the water. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Then later I started to like see the movies and put together the idea that like this is a world built out of the trash mm. from the last world, basically. Right, and there's just, I think there's just so much rich content there to mine mm-hmm. um well okay so <clears throat> we've talked about like yeah post-apocalyptic drew us in a way um so afterlife way back when uh we were thinking about video games mm-hmm. and like our first idea was a sci-fi western so nothing to do with afterlife yeah um, and then we kind of transitioned to Afterlife, still as like a video game that we were going to make. You know, oh, we're going to be video game developers. Yeah, that was our, that was our grand idea. It's like, you know, we were going to learn to code what we needed. We were going to, you know, we were going to create stuff. We were maybe going to pursue funding because what we had in our minds, I think, for both of us was, you know, playing stuff like Borderlands, playing... Um, uh, you know, Far Cry, Pl- playing, Fallout. yeah, Fallout, the Fallout games, obviously, um, that stuff, and imagining like our version of that video game, mm-hmm. a you know, an action-driven experience, an action RPG, where you explored a post-apocalyptic setting, and you know, we imagined it as a video game with some hubris, because mm-hmm. creating <laughs> a video game out of nothing is a Hell of a lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of money, a lot of expertise that we didn't have. Um But yeah, that so that was our initial idea. We're like, what is the video game that we wanted based on this stuff we'd already played? And we started to develop. Now, we didn't know how to make a video game, but what mm. we did know how to do was start setting the um Well, we started playing role playing tabletop role playing games. Yeah. And then we started making our own rules mm-hmm. for those. And then we're like, well, this is actually something that we can do. And then we're pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, this is going to be an episode about how fucking smart we yeah, are. Yeah, about how terrific we are and stupendously talented. Because we did all this. So, yeah, uh, eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually the idea of you know, spinning a video game You're excused. out of whole cloth. <laughs> Thank yes, you. That was the late for the joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we recognized that that was unrealistic, that that wasn't feasible, especially since it was just the two of us. And, you know, aside from neither of us are computer. People, yeah. Really. We, we weren't able, we weren't able to code. Um, and we, you know, lacked the money to hire a studio to do it for us. But what we could do is, you know, take our experience with Torg and our just the experience with mm-hmm. with pen and paper gaming. We're like, well, okay, so there is no reason that with right because it's pen and paper, 
you know, it's just, it's math. We can create a version of this that we can play and we don't have to wait for a bunch of stuff that we don't have. The money to hire, you know, coders and animators and Mm -hmm. artists. We can create a game that is text-driven and and is played on the tabletop. And so, like, kind of while we were realizing that, we were also developing it because we developing like the history yeah and the setting the setting because you know that's that's some really fun shit right there like you know we've talked about it plenty of times before on the podcast of like player backstory and you know the <coughs> dm you know behind the screen like the story flow and all that stuff is really fun to create yeah and so thinking about all the cool shit from games and movies that we've played, like mm. you know what's going to be in there, you know, like the 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 loose, weird, uh, like on the line magic science of like Adventure Time, mm-hmm. where there's magic, but right. also there's science, which is also magic, which because, kind of explains the magic, yeah, because it's you know it's just like it's science that's so advanced, and mm. they're like looking at. Through it, the eyes of Finn, like, it's magic. Right. It behaves like magic. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, if you're one of these characters, one of these other characters in the world who can actually, like, harness it or create something out of the remnants of old technology, mm-hmm. you you understand that it is science, but in functionality, it's ind- indistinguishable from magic. So we're like, this post-apocalyptic setting, which, like most post-apocalyptic settings, it begins... It began very similar to like Fallout or Mad Max, but then we were adding ideas onto it like magic. That needs to be a thing. Where does it come from? What does it look like? And Adventure Time is a great example uh, of a science-based magic system existing mm-hmm. in a post-apocalyptic setting. Um. Yeah, and, like, you know, we kind of had to refine that, right? You know, like... Um, we'll talk about magic more later, but, we, yeah. We started, you know, just throwing ideas around, <clears throat> like, oh, it would be cool, like, science-based stuff. And, you know, then we we kind of both at the same time in different ways came to, uh, like, uh, Brian Sanderson's Mr. Sandy, his, like, hard magic versus soft magic yeah. thesis. And we had so many nights where we were drinking out back at this time we lived together yeah that was we were um we were roommates i was in college he was in grad school and we were um, just pontificating yeah you know well into the uh, early hours of the morning Mm -hmm. about like this theory yeah and when we had friends over who were uh at all interested then we'd been there a year about it we'd be hanging out out back smoking cigarettes and just like Talking about this idea for a fictional universe that we were working on. Informed by all this stuff we already loved. And thinking like, you know, as a pen and paper role-playing game, is this something that could, you know, that we could could feasibly put together and present and start to actually play? Because we were already playing Torg, but we were getting away from... Well, I think... So, th- this is something. We both kind of bucked at playing the rules as written. Yeah. And very quickly we started to be like, well, we understand how this works, but I how think it would be it, yeah. better if it ran like this. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... 
Well, I think that was kind of our our aha moment. It's like we had this dope setting that we've been we were already about talking about it, talking about it. But as a pipe dream of a video game, we right. would someday make. And then then we realized that it's possible to write our own rules because we're already coming up with. Yeah. Uh, you know, homebrew stuff for Torg that we're playing. It's like, well, I, I know the rules say that this is how it's supposed to work, but, like, I don't really like that, so I'm going to write this in my notebook. It's like, from now on, this is how the role's going to go. Yeah. So, we had we already had an idea for a setting at that point. Mm. So, we came to the setting first because it was just so fun to talk about. Mm. And through talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, it got more developed and refined. And then then we were like, oh, writing rules is something we can do, right? Because mm. it's all based in math and statistics and uh, the dice roll. So we don't need to spend years developing a new skill because we already had the skills yeah, from, from we were, school. We were already starting to do this. Mm. And, you know, yeah, just like how to how to put something down on paper. Yeah. And how to do the, you know, fairly limited mathematics mm. that drive a system like this was like, oh, this is well within our capabilities. Right. So that's that's where we started with, like, the first iteration of Afterlife was a mod. Basically, yeah. On Torg, where we're like, okay, what if we use the basis of Torg rules, but in this new setting with all these little, you know, corrections. Mm -hmm. And Cosmo ran a session. And it worked. Mm. And we're like, okay, that works. It was rough. Mm. You know, there was a bunch of stuff that just like, you know, wasn't balanced or whatever. But we were like, okay, yeah, we can just, uh, with the dice and the math that we already mm. know, we can play in the setting we've already been working on. And then it was kind of over from there. Yeah. We Well, not necessarily over, but kind of locked in. Because then there was that iteration where we were going to make it like a, you know, board game. Mm -hmm. um, very grid-based, like, you know, Warhammer. Yeah. Warhammer-y, you know, combat. And, like, that worked and could have gotten there. But then, you know, as we developed as Game Masters, I think, is we started to realize that it's going to be really hard to write out every specific rule. Yeah. So the specifics of a, yeah, a super intense, like combat you need, sim. You need a game master. Yeah. Right. You need somebody who can come up with rules on the fly to fill in the blanks. Yeah. So then, yeah, we turned it into, at that point, I think it was like, what, like a 10 page document. Yep. Um, probably. And it was, you know, it was mostly a Torg hack at that point. Um, the iteration that we're about to release is much more than a torque hack. It's an original. Yeah. It's a, it's an original game system, based on a lot more information than just, you know, copying the 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 skills and the yeah. Character well, because you know, Torg, as but... we as we added on to it, uh, you know, and play testing all the way through, like you know, we got player feedback, like, oh, I don't really understand this, so we mm -hmm. okay clarified and added and changed. Um, and, like, we had it pretty down. Uh, what is it? It's November when this is released. Mm -hmm. um, like, we thought we had it down last year. And then, you know what? We can simplify this. Yeah. So we made a major change. We had a system. <clears throat> we had a system in place where every, um, 
the difficulty of every role, the difficulty class in in D and D terms, uh, was determined by like a universal table, and then we realized that like this is actually an extra step of math. Mm-hmm. We could we could tweak the numbers a little bit and make it run more similar to Dungeons and Dragons, where you just add your bonus to a dice roll, yeah, and then you skip the um, you skip this step. Of finding it on the table, yeah, of comparing your ability to a difficulty level, yeah. Which you know, it just like we we went through several iterations. Well, it we just made turned this, out it yeah. was the same thing with an extra step. Yeah, you know, so we cut it down, uh, and kind of landed where we are now, which I think is is really sleek. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, a very it's a very easy to use game system. And we'll we'll get more into the unique selling points of how it actually works, mm. but yeah. So at at this point, we had been working on a setting for a long time. We had a lot of sci-fi and fantasy influences that were guiding us. We you know obviously loved all the classic post-apocalyptic media. We loved weirder stuff like Adventure Time. I was reading uh, when we first. We're talking about this, and I we weren't living together yet. I was reading these um, books. Yeah, I was reading these <laughs> Kindle books uh, called Deathlands, which were you know about a post-apocalyptic United States and a crew of just gunslingers. Written just, in the eighties, right? Uh, written started in the eighties yeah. and continued under multiple authors. I, the series might still be going for all I know. Um, but real pulpy, real, real know, pulpy like, adventure. Like they, they went out, through a teleporter. Yeah, like hundred page books. Yeah, real, real easy. The crew would like go through a teleporter and just appear somewhere in the United States, and they would get into some sort of trouble with whoever the like local power was, or they would you know go on a trek and they would get in gunfights with mutants and scavengers and there were all kinds of, you know, like hostile robots and mm-hmm. everybody, you know, wants to kill you and take your food and take your water. Um, there was all this, this was a thing that I absolutely fucking loved. There were all these like pre, uh, pre dark is what they called them. We say pre cataclysm now and we'll explain why. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were all these like pre dark bunkers where like, if you had the key codes to get into them, you could get like, you know, tanks or like a solar powered motorcycle real, or real fresh shit. primo guns and like grenades and fresh ammunition that had never been reloaded, you know, so it was better than everybody else's gear, stuff like that. And that had, um, that had the ring of gaming to me where like, you know, quality of gear was mm-hmm. a, was a big deal. Like rarity of loot in borderlands. Yeah. That was a cool idea. Something like that, that, definitely made it into um, the weapons and gear design for character creation in our game because we like that stuff. Um, so we, we had a setting based on a lot of outside influences that we were coming together with. And at some yeah. point well, we started like, to just write the game system. Like ourselves. that smart person says, plagiarism is stealing from one source. Mm-hmm. Writing is stealing yeah. from everybody. Art is just oh, when you art. steal everything. Yeah. yeah. When you so, steal from a lot of th- different things and right. mash it, if we then just that's original. written like a Fallout fanfic, but that's not what we did. We ended up creating an entirely original, all new mm. post apocalyptic version of the United States. And with things that we liked. Mm-hmm. You know, we take this from Fallout, we take this from Adventure Time, we take this from. Um, 
well, wait, hold on. I thought about this like two minutes ago. It's like we didn't put this on the list as uh, influence, but it most certainly was, and now I've forgotten it, so whatever. Uh, I guess it wasn't that important. If you remember it, bring it up, because okay. I think I think it's cool to hear the influences where this stuff came yeah. from. A lot of video games, but also a lot of other fiction. Um, there's an old cartoon, Thundar the Barbarian, which is a super fantasy thing, but it's set in like a you know post-apocalyptic earth mm. so there's all kinds of you know ruined buildings and stuff but it's very fantasy there's like wizards and you know other species and shit we liked that really pulpy kind yeah. of mm. vibe where like this this has a sort of science fiction explanation for it but don't look too close at it mm. because it's bullshit because it's fiction the point is for it to be cool and for us to, like, put a thing in here that we wanted to put in here, so we just, like, mm. found a way for it to work. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, at the we, we had already been doing a ton of world building, and then we started to just do the game design at the same time, and it all sort of just came together. Like, Providence. Mm-hmm. Had to dig deep for that one. <laughs> so, All right, so let's talk about this crazy, yeah. wacky world of a mashup of influences and our own shit. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a brief, like, world history as a primer for, like, if you were about to play in mm-hmm. this setting, we're going to tell you what this session is. Which Or is what this setting is. Setting. Which we do have, like, this is all included in the world book, mm-hmm. but you heard it, you know, this is word of mouth, you mm-hmm. know. From can... us. But yeah, this this content is going to be part of the, yeah. it's, it is part of the package, mm. the book that you, you know, will get. It has everything you need to play the game, but also it has all the fiction and all the, like, all the vibes. That right. We... But when you read it yourself, you won't get our, our sexy voices. Mm. <clears throat> so... Cataclysm. The cataclysm. <laughs> what are you doing? A radio voice? Yeah. What? This what? is my no. own voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, the world of afterlife starts in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Starts in the real, real world yes. 1980s. Mm-hmm. And then diverges. Pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, because the Cold War doesn't end mm-hmm. in uh, the 80s and early 90s mm-hmm. that it did in real life. It continues. So mm-hmm. Vietnam never, we never pulled out of Vietnam, yeah. and we the U.S. never. The pulled United out States, of yeah, never pulled out. There, there's lots of other mm-hmm. like low intensity conflicts going on around the world. The these Cold proxy, War, these proxy conflicts. The Cold War is still going on, and everyone's really suspicious of each other, mm-hmm. and everyone's really, uh, you know, on edge. On edge, and it's a you know, it's kind of a. It's kind of a tense time to be alive. Mm. Now, the reason we pushed that a little bit past the real life into the Cold War is because we wanted to get into, like, the 90s and early 2000s for uh, believable technology. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, so in the 90s... Well, and the also event... it serves, like, for, you know, there's global conflict. Yeah. Everybody's on edge. Yeah. We, we went past what was historical. We made up some stuff mm. to inform the, like, political situations around yeah. the world. So, in the 90s, 
is at its worst or just the best time or worst time for this thing to happen, mm. right? Because, like, everybody, the world is divided and, like, everybody's ready to kill each other. Yeah. Then, unpredictably, mm-hmm. because, you know, the the solar or the, you know, the stars, we don't really know yeah. everything that happens in the stars because we've only been recording that history for a couple thousand years. Yeah, and not even very well. Not very well. So, a solar event happens. Yeah. And I um, I remember the I remember the night when we were, you know, drunk and working on this. It's like, what's going to be the What is the thing? The and I, I had it just, like, very set in my mind that it was going to be a classic, you know, nuclear holocaust mm-hmm. that set everything in motion. And this was coming from Dane that actually, no, it should be something different. I bucked at that idea till we talked about it a little bit. And we're like, no, actually, a lot of really cool stuff can come from this. So the um, the event that began the apocalypse, we call the cataclysm. And what it was is a massive, uh, just like out of nowhere, solar event, solar event that... Um, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. It just, it, you know, a solar storm came across the Gulf mm-hmm. of Space burned the upper levels of the atmosphere, uh, you know, ruined communication across the planet, caused, like, you know, blackouts, right. uh, all kinds of uh, technological disasters, failures, mm. um, and ecological disasters as well. Suddenly, this cataclysm just, like, happened to the Earth at a time when the Earth was poised to go to war over, right. basically. At its anything. most vulnerable, or, mm. you know, like, the perfect moment for the story worst time for humanity for this to happen Mm. so that was the cataclysm plunges the world into darkness uh and it takes years for um you know communications to be reestablished. for all of the like wars that were started when the Mm. when the world went dark to be brought back under control it's you know it's a decades-long struggle to dig ourselves out of the mess caused by this solar event that basically just like switched off the planet and humans being humans when that shit happens and it doesn't come back immediately way we draw inwards Mm. you know we get tribal yeah so like the conflicts that were happening at that time they get worse yeah like there's no reason and you know armistice no meeting that like wait a second guys hold on before we kill each other let's take a second none of that there's no peace to be had Mm -hmm. because there's no trust because everyone is in the dark communication broke down yeah right so like if you can't get gorbachev on the phone Mm -hmm. just doesn't work then then, i guess i guess we're attacking yeah then i guess our subs are going here Mm -hmm. and you know so that shit's going wild the cold war goes hot all over the planet and it's, so then come it, the nukes. It's it's a bad time to be alive, but it's not a global nuclear yeah. holocaust. It's just like some nukes are deployed, mm-hmm. some rogue states, you know, commit uh, commit right. atrocities you get, you against their neighbors. Yeah. So parts of like chaos. the U.S. Navy are stranded in the China Sea mm-hmm. for like ten years. That's just that's where they are now. Right. And, and I think it's. At the time, we didn't, uh, like, care too much about, like, realism and, like, what would happen in the United States realistically. And I think we've actually been proven a little right Mm 
with like the whole Texas shit with like them freezing and like their yeah. their mm-hmm. electricity and gas just and it's like mm. so like an unregulated power happen. grid that cannot survive an ecological event people like states can just get cut off yep so an environmental event sorry yeah, yeah. An, environmental uh, event. an unexpected environmental event completely destroys an unregulated power grid mm. and suddenly we're like mm, is society a thing anymore or is it time to like kill my neighbor and take their food? Right. Obviously, it didn't get that bad in Texas. No, not in real life, and that you know could come but, across as a little insensitive because yes. I know people actually did freeze to death. That, yes, but very sad, and I blame Ted Cruz. Uh, <laughs> fucking fight me, dude. Yeah, fucking fuck that loser. Um, but anyways, imagine that, except for the whole world. The whole world, yeah, this is happening too, but. Over the course of a decade, you know, the world starts to crawl its way out of this mm. darkness. There's a lot of irreparable damage done. We we kind of imagined mostly focusing on North America because that's where the game is set. Mm. Maybe and in the just, future we'll explore. Yeah, because you know. it's what we knew, yeah. right? We're both, uh, you know, raised in the United States. Yeah. We, we, we know, know U.S. Better. history better than we know, you know, like... Indian Europe. history or, yeah, fucking German history, whatever. So we set it in the United States. Um, and our idea was that, like, over this, you know, decade-ish long mm. period of recovery from surprise uh, solar disaster, the United States isn't really a thing anymore. Everything is very fractured and, uh, you know, tribal. States are trying to recover to try and like mm-hmm. run themselves but the idea of like federal government is nominal at best yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of conflict there's a lot of you know mistrust and there's also a lot of just kind of like restructuring the idea that you know a state is no longer a part of the union but is like just a a free city state like in uh medieval italy right you know so one of the influences i remembered what i was gonna say it's the Expanse. The Expanse. Oh, we love The Expanse. So there is a, a moment in The Expanse that retrospectively, like, definitely influenced uh, my um, additions to Afterlife. It, they're uh, in Eros talking about, uh, like, oh, you think they'd make these, you know, passages... Uh, accessible to belters mm-hmm. and it's like no no no. these are the old yeah. passages they like, dug these before they belters, belters existed they were you know yeah people yeah. didn't live out here for enough time to like be taller and to be skinny and they, you know, they low g people pontificate for a moment about uh and it, it comes back later it's like humans are always building on what came before mm. right so like the reason the reason a shaft mm-hmm. is this width is because a dozer is this width, but the only reason a dozer is that width is because it's the, the Romans. Width, it, yeah, it's the width of a mule cart. Yeah, and as like new technology went, they were like, well, the dozer that we build has to be able to fit on the like you know the rails in the mine that, that we used to have. be pulled by mules. So it has to be right. built on... Because yeah. we're not going to rebuild that infrastructure. No. That's too expensive and yeah. time-consuming. So we're just going to make the new thing fit the old. Right. So the the infrastructure in the United States, like the highways, the mm-hmm. power grids, everything still exists, but it's broken. You're using 
the the bits lying on the ground to try and like cobble together to build back. Yeah. Right. So that's I was going to transition to Golden Age. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. So after the fall, mm-hmm. right, comes the rebuilding of the Golden Age. So after all these social constructs have been kind of well just shaken up. Mm-hmm. The the technology the power of technology mm-hmm. vastly outpaces like the the human ability to deal with it, I yeah. guess, right? You know, like, you know, fucking just take boomers and their, you know, their technology handicap basically. Mm-hmm. Right? And take millennials too. Like the Zoomers are so much younger people are so much better at technology yeah. than me. So, you know, we we imagine this is like the golden age as humanity crawls its way out of this, you know, decade-long period of darkness and lack of connection and conflict. The golden age is somewhat facetious. Mm-hmm. This is when like all the all the leaps forward in like robotics and AI and yeah. uh like genetic engineering, all of the, mm-hmm. you know, the sci-fi shit that we wanted in our post-apocalyptic setting this is when it happened when there was no oversight to be like right that's fucking unethical you can't you know take a child soldier and cut all their muscles out and replace them with like artificial mm -hmm. fiber bundles to make them super strong but that's where these like cybernetics and and also it that happened because not only just because of like the social norms changed but the economic and Mm -hmm. uh governmental you know, like to to test out robotics, you know, you have to play the system, you know, your university, you got to get the grant, you got to get the, right. you know, proper sanctions, you know, to do your thing. But with that infrastructure gone, then you just do your thing. Like You being, just do your thing and you're like, I create yeah. this and maybe you create it because, you know, in this, uh, say like, you know, San Diego and L.A. are now at war. They're mm. isolated city states. Who who's gonna get the water? Yeah, who are like run by feudal warlords, and yeah, they're at war over water access and controlling the roads. The the normal scientific ethics standards that would have to be like met out the window, completely bypass. So this is where like you know super scary war robots and cybernetics and uh you know genetic augmentation mutant splices mm. all kinds of you know wacky shit this is where we imagine that stuff comes from and why it persists in the playable days mm. of this setting and as a, a, a example um so in the session that I'm running or the adventure that I'm running now Cosmo's character got his arm chopped off mm and he went to um, one of the doctors in town, and the doctor was like, "I got some golden age goo here, mm-hmm. right? Like you can regrow your arm with just arm. this goo." And that was that was too weird. It was yeah. like, "Ah, like, mm, no, I'd rather that. go for a trusty robotics yeah. arm." Yeah, which right? to my character was like a much more yeah. traditional thing. Is like, oh, you get your arm blown well, off. Well, because he had already been cybernetic. Yeah, he, he was. So, yeah, like, he's a that. he's like a RoboCop. This character, so he's already got chips in his brain and stuff mm-hmm. so the idea of like replacing his arm with a claw or something that's much more palatable than like what's this magic goo but it might be just like stem cells that yeah. regrow an arm mm-hmm. like a like a like a frog you mm-hmm. know but so stuff like you know, that exists weird and different 
it's basically a catch-all for like whatever sci-fi shit you need in this setting. It Came got invented yeah. sometime during this time period. Mm. And as it was happening, you know, a lot of ethical boundaries were being pushed or outright ignored, but also humanity was starting to crawl its way back a little bit. Right. Like there was a uh, reformation of governments mm-hmm. and uh, civility, mm-hmm. basically. You know, dragon. Okay. We were all fucking, you know, just apes on the Pleistocene, mm-hmm. you know, savanna there for several years. Yeah. For a while, it wasn't great. But now we're starting to be okay. Mm. Until. And then, of course, there's there's a but to that. Yeah. Right? So as humanity is dragging itself up from the ruins, some something tries to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And we call that something Castraticon. Yeah. Which is a cool name that I think came from some like metal song or Well, uh, you came, came up from. with it, so I have no idea where I uh from. well so like I retroactively have tried to make it into an acronym. Um <laughs> That's uh, a long acronym. For, well, so it's not like this is so Castraticon is a cool name. Mm. Um the acronym wouldn't be spelled the way it's spelled. Oh, yeah. Like, Castraticon is a, is, is like a portmanteau. That's how you of, say it. Yeah, that's how you say it, but that's the letters wouldn't spelled. actually spell yes. that. And I don't have a, um, I did write it down. Let me look it up real quick. Okay, here we go. I, I wrote it down. So, uh, catastrophic response strategic control intelligence. So it's obnoxious. Um, yes. <laughs> it's an obnoxious, like, government acronym for what we imagined was like a, uh, a control AI for like a drone fleet mm-hmm. or something. So our idea was rogue AI. A, a rogue AI, not like Skynet. It doesn't control everything on the planet. It's more like a, um, it's it's a villain, right? You know. Well, so a true AI, not like a program restrained. Yeah. But like, so if you know, art because I mean, you know, yeah. Take from Terminator, uh, Mass Effect, uh, so many other cool stories you know ai has always been kind of like the boogeyman Mm -hmm. right so we said okay yeah let's make him a boogeyman we like this this is you'll see this if you you know haven't been paying attention so far like we love tropes Mm. um and afterlife is built on you know sci-fi and fantasy tropes and post-apocalyptic tropes so there is a there is an evil ai Mm. so maybe not the first Mm -mm. ai but there's definitely others. The true artificial intelligence where it could think and mm-hmm. learn for itself outside its programming. Yeah. Much much more like a Cortana than a Skynet. Yeah. It's it's not like a the internet comes to life. Mm-hmm. It's a character who is basically like a replacement for military personnel. Mm-hmm. It like it can control a drone fleet of, you know, aircraft and ships and robotic soldiers and it's it wasn't supposed to be used it gets used and breaks its programming doesn't even really break its program it does what it's supposed it does to what do it's supposed to do and becomes its own entity yeah true artificial intelligence where it's like a person yeah. and that person looks at the world and says opportunity here opportunity i can conquer this i can be master of all yeah so this 
the Castraticon, it plunges the world into another apocalypse. Another basically. apocalypse, yeah, where it's like, and I would say limited to North America. Yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to say Castraticon is why the rest of the world is, is wherever it is. Because we don't know what the rest of the world is. We don't is know. Doing. I would love to, like, write one, write an afterlife expansion for Australia or, mm. you know, South America, whatever. Or Canada, even. Fucking, like, yeah. Maybe it barely... Maybe Canada's fine. It barely reached Canada. They're having a whole different adventure with something else. Mm. But for most of the United States and, you know, well, a little bit of, of Mexico... For all, all of the United, the United States, States. Uh, we didn't go to Canada or Alaska... But this is what happened. This military AI mm-hmm. started another war, which dragged the continent back into conflict, destroyed all the bridges that were being built mm-hmm. again after the you know initial darkness of the cataclysm, and was barely stopped. And we have this fun idea that it was, you know, a raid by a daring, you know, crew of adventurers. Like the first, yeah. the first afterlife adventuring party made a raid into its, you know, bunker stronghold and shut it down. But by the time they did, it was too late. Everything was. Well, it was kind of, you know, the, the classic, this is our last effort. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, you know, why we send uh, the. John Carter, wait, um, nope, Terminator, I'm trying to think of Terminator. Yeah, why they send him back in time? Connor. Connor, yeah. John Connor. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, like in the in the third Matrix, yeah, when they're, when yeah, they're yeah. like, they're, the, the machines have found the city, and yeah. they're killing everybody mm-hmm. and destroying everything, but like, you know, we're shooting, we're shooting, we're shooting, and it's the last ditch effort on Neo's part that, yeah. you know, ends the war. Like, but by the time you end the war, is it worth it? Because everyone's dead anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is lost. There are holdouts. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're not going to win. Or, like, I guess, you know, fucking because we're doing it, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right? Like, there's not going to be long-term survival. So we're going to gather all our best resources yeah. and just... This is the last. Thing. We're gonna throw it into the wind. If it works, then maybe Great. there's a life. Maybe after this. maybe someone will have a life after us. Mm. So that's that's how we imagine this happened. We haven't like written. This isn't 40k. We don't have you know hundreds and hundreds of novels written About to like, like this fill thing. this out. Yeah. You know, we just started and we're only two guys. But that's our idea. Is you know there was a there was a last ditch raid by the first sort of crew of afterlife mm. adventurers, and they. They killed Castraticon. They saved And they everything. saved the world. Right. But by the time they did... Most of it was destroyed. Most of it was ruined anyway. So all the robots switched off. All the people who were mind-controlled, you know, they woke were back lost, up. But they know, were just yeah. lost wherever they were in the middle of a war right. zone. Like like the orcs yeah. in Lord of the Rings. Like, we've lost our mm-hmm. lord. And I think this is, this is important. The reason why we did, like, you know, Apocalypse recovery apocalypse yeah right because we needed to get rid of the world as it is like yeah. today right because that's no fun no and we i mean needed, it can be fun but, but we needed the freedom we to create everything else we needed to rebuild yeah we needed that golden age to create the crazy sci-fi shit mm-hmm. and and the magic that's where magic was born in the golden age mm-hmm. you know people became 
you know, mutated by the solar radiation and the nuclear radiation yeah. to have magic. To have like, this boom. weird, so now your mind can interact with, you know, other materials in a weird mm. way. And But because it's post-apocalyptic, your players can't, well, not necessarily can't, but the majority of the, or at least how we envisioned it, is you play after the golden age has already broken and failed you know failed empire i can see plenty of awesome one shots and shit yeah. in the golden age like that would be fun i definitely could too but yeah. it's supposed to be a post apocalyptic where like everybody is super tribal and that's where the adventuring takes place is you know there's a whole world of uncivilization yeah or decent uh, whatever mm-hmm. so which that's what leads that's us what into what Castraticon does yeah. is so we got the sci-fi and then you break the world again mm-hmm. which was what you were saying which leads us into what we call the dark ages which is the the period in which the game is set several hundred years 200 years past the um the events of the solar cataclysm. The initial cataclysm in the 90s. Mm-hmm. There was there was a, a bit of a renaissance. There was some a golden age. A bunch of like science fiction stuff came mm-hmm. from there. If you are running the game and you need, you know, cybernetic arms or you, you need some sort of like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. If your character wants to have an energy cannon, yeah. that's where it came it from. It came from the golden age. That's when all that technology was realized. The Castraticon War happened dragged the continent back into darkness mm. was stopped at the last moment but it was too late because everything mm. was already a ruined war zone anyway now years after that is when the game takes place right in a world that's been shattered twice but has a ton of weird cool stuff just scattered it, across right? it and so like people are picking up uh the pieces again mm-hmm. right because i think the the initial picking up the pieces that lead in the golden age, like the United States is still pretty um, consistent. That's not necessarily the word, but like, so you think about the fifty states. Like mm-hmm. in the golden age, there's probably the United States, but there's only like uh, you know thirty five. Yeah, some states right. are no longer part of the union. Texas is a great example again. You know, because we built a faction based on a post-apocalyptic Texas, but also, mm-hmm. like, you know, them having a separate energy grid. Yeah. Them having just, like, the culture of mm-hmm. independence and, uh, you know, like, Western romanticism. Yeah. Makes it, you know, so, like, they would start to pull their shit together, too, but why would, you know, if you were if you were part of that community, you'd be like, why would we bother, like, what's the United States? We don't need to belong mm-hmm. to this anymore. Um, right. Well, so I think that like, why, why do we, you know, why do we belong to the United States that wouldn't end after the first cataclysm, mm-hmm. but then that's what Castraticon does is it, it really, know, really drives it home. hits you yeah. when you're down, cuts everybody off everywhere between, you know, built up society is a war zone, is a wasteland, is a, you know. And everybody is cut off mm. because there's no internet, there's no satellite communication anymore. There is, you know, we're we're back to like, you know, the American West essentially in terms of um, 
infrastructure mm-hmm. and interconnectivity, but with a bunch of sci-fi shit. Right. So the I just think that is more. Uh, it makes it more believable. To have this, you know, playing in the crazy world of afterlife mm-hmm. with like, yeah, there are still remnants of the highways. Like after the first cataclysm in the golden age, the highway system is probably still pretty put together. Yeah. Because it takes more than mm-hmm. 10 years for it all to fall apart. Right. But now we're looking Even at like with, a century, you know, two centuries yeah, later. Of war mm-hmm. on our home territory. Yeah. Right. Because. So, yes, the highway system still exists, mm-hmm. but like. All the overpasses and shit are broken. Right. And Bridges have not, been destroyed yeah. tactically. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them have been replaced, but mm-hmm. with like temporary replacements of like logs, yeah. you know, spanning across a gulf or whatever. That's not something permanent. Whoever runs that territory mm-hmm. is going to have to like keep maintaining that. And, and there's there's like, you know, graveyards and, or, you know, mass graves and destroyed battlefields and mm-hmm. forgotten shit. Mm-hmm. That, Everywhere is just so pervasive because of the the darkness of Castraticon. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, the the reason why we threw in a second apocalypse on top of it yeah. is... One's not enough, have another. It makes it so much more believable that you don't know where shit is. Like, mm-hmm. satellite coverage is spotty. If you can get a GPS to work, even. Yeah. Like... Everything is just fucked. Mm-hmm. So that's where you play. Yeah, that you play in this age, and there's a little, uh, there's a little tease as well. Um, before we get into highlighting the the kind of game design stuff that we think is going to really sell this product, uh, that we think is going to be fucking fun for you to get into, um, Castraticon was you know killed, shut down, whatever. Um, but because it's an AI, it had a bunch of like backup drives. Mm-hmm. So our idea is like in its final moments, it beamed a copy of itself to a satellite that was then, you know, like beamed to yeah. a bunch of. Or even the Yeoman Gander Isles, there's yeah. a secret bunker in the middle right. of the Great Lakes. Right, like that got beamed to a bunch of bunker sites mm-hmm. that it had set where like fragments of itself are scattered across and of course it's followers some still mm-hmm. cling to some the old yeah race. some psychos will want to bring this back the way you know like the dominator in the black company yeah. fucking, um, who's on the black company train. i'm on the black company train now nice um that's a fun one you know or yeah just like that kind of classic fantasy thing mm-hmm. of you know the dark lord that was banished but not enough and if it not totally puts its right? pieces back together again it can come back always the boogeyman we're not gonna say what you as a game master do with this mm. but like you know it's there if you had a cult of you know mm. like cyber cybernetic modified wackos who are trying to revive their machine god right it's an know. easy easy uh place to take it right the the banished dark lord coming back the threat of it coming back even if it never does always a threat always or the people who would use its power yeah and it was like oh yeah well i'm not evil i'll use it but then like you get corrupted by it or they are evil Mm. and it's not that you know they're just using pieces of technology but they're using it for evil whatever stuff like that uh, always a potential for a bad guy. Like, if you don't know who the bad guys are going to be, make him Castraticon. Yeah. Really fun. So, yes. Uh, 
really fun and weird, but also familiar. And I'd like to transition to the highlights. Yeah. Now. So this I think the that's big... one, one of the highlights. Yeah. We have uh, a lot of success, I guess you would call it. Um, something our players latched onto early when we started playtesting Afterlife mm -hmm. is the Lone Star Republic. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like the, the remnants of the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Right? They're the most put together. They're in Texas. I, I read a thing, or I thought I did. Turns out it was just from Torg. Um, so in in Torg, uh, Torg is a is a like an Earth that's reeling from a weird sort if of. If you're like about to say what magical... I think you're about to say, I've been spreading misinformation for like six years. That uh, the backup capital, Houston, yeah, is Houston. So uh, in in Torg, in the world building of Torg, the the world gets invaded and a bunch of different, but you know the the United States comes under attack from like different uh, realms mm -hmm. basically. And the East Coast, some stuff happens, whatever. In the fiction of Torg, Houston is the United States, like, emergency uh, capital. So the seat of federal U.S. government transitions to Texas and, you know, takes over, like, the federal buildings and stuff there mm -hmm. and whatever. I thought that was real. I thought that was real life in the event of a nuclear strike on the East Coast that... In okay. real life, the United States government. So where is the real? I don't know. It's account. not a known thing um, because why it's, would it's you classified? As far as I know now. Well, so it could be Houston. It's certainly not Houston in any public record thing. But it could be. Anyway. So we're not wrong. We we're not we're not definitely wrong. <laughs> but it it began as a thing. I've so, been telling yeah, people yeah. that for years. I was too, and then I started to like try and find my sources and I realized oh, my yikes. source was just Torg. <laughs> so anyways, <clears throat> we're talking about um, extrapolating like real world yeah. um, analogs. All the world building from all the world building for afterlife mm -hmm. is extrapolated from real life United right. States. So, you know, so uh, the, the Lone Star Republic yeah. is something very easy to understand or at least in our experience from yeah. our players. Players gravitate right? towards it. They understand it really well. It's so, a budding, it's a budding yeah. government that actually has its shit together. Yeah, it's a country that like has a lot of the infrastructure from before the apocalypse, um, and it you know it encompasses all of Texas, but it also includes like Oklahoma and from in Louisiana, from the Rio Grande in, in New Mexico, in, yeah, in Santa Fe. All the way back east to uh, the Louisiana bayous, right? So, it, and essentially, it's become like um, like eighteen hundreds United States. You know, so yeah. cowboys. That's a very easy thing to mm -hmm. latch on. Western you know, marshals, rural uh, agriculture. You know, gunslinger. Mm -hmm. And not not every player makes a character from this, but they understand this concept of a post apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like. It's Western sci-fi. Yeah. Super easy to grasp. And it's also super easy to understand why this came to be. Mm. That, like, some remnants of, you know, what we understand as the United States. I fucking told her. I told her. Would survive. That she would have to stay in here. Get and that dog out of here. We kicked the dog out. Anyways. Um, but, yeah. So, 
That's one... So this is a selling point. Yeah, that's one cool example. It can be familiar, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, we have a we have a cowboy place. You know, oh, that's easy to latch on. I know what that that means. It's like, you know, they're a, you know, a, a tobacco-chewing, you know, guy who values honesty. Yeah. They right. can they can make a they can make a sci-fi apocalypse mm-hmm. character based on any western sort of, you know, trope or archetype they're familiar with and it makes total sense for them to come from this place. Our other zones are a little less like, oh, I can see A to B to C. Mm-hmm. Some um, of them are more weird. But they're still all based on real-world analogs essentially. So like uh you know, you talk about the Great Lakes area and the Neo Vikings, mm-hmm. right? Which is what we did. So it's a familiar setting. You know, the Great mm-hmm. Lakes, um, a lot of inland water, basically oceans, small yeah. oceans, small oceans, uh, wooded. On a sailboat, they would take days yeah. to traverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then like dense forest and you know northern northern North America, rough winters. Hot ass, yeah. moist summers, uh, but like neo Vikings. So and like, there's no. We didn't. There's no like backup. With like, oh, why are these Vikings? Right. We didn't. But we just like, thought it would be cool. We didn't run a simulation of how like yeah. the economy would collapse and how these people would need to raid for food and but supplies. They have large bodies of water. So like so that's the culture we built is yeah. like the folks who live here we call them neo vikings they themselves identify as vikings which i think works because there's a lot of um northern european heritage in the great lakes yeah. region mm-hmm. uh that these people would maybe you know they uh, they, they they would embrace a sort of like culture yeah right. a, they're a, not agri 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 wait what agrarians yeah. no yeah, an aggregarian culture. Yeah. Doing agri- and they would do some ag- like they would still raise sure. goats and they would you know they would grow corn and stuff. But the idea is like this is a place where the winters are really harsh mm. and kind of how you survive and is, short summers. So we yeah. can't grow enough for ourselves. So we're gonna yeah. take it from other people. So you yeah you raise your animals, you grow your crops, and then at the end of summer you go raiding to cover the difference. Mm-hmm. And so every summer, little settlements disappear because they get raided and they can't sustain. And then new settlements Some settlements get right. bigger and yeah. stronger until they become, you know, established fortresses. And then other little ones just pop up every spring. Mm-hmm. Whoever survives the winter, they start a new homestead. Yeah. And then they hang out for, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years before they get raided again, before they even have the resources to go raid someone else. Right. So we we start with the familiar mm. and then we extrapolate based on what we think is cool and just like tropes and, you know, things from like sci-fi, fantasy and mythology right. that we want to yeah. include. Like, you know, uh, the, the Shattered Coast. So on the West Coast, the the major cities on the coast have all been, you know, sunken and destroyed. But there's there's some good mountains a little further in, inland, so like city states form, right? You know, set, California becomes a bunch of just city states. So like, mm-hmm. you know, all the all the little fucking uh, cities in 
in Napa Valley in Simona. No, that's not it. Whatever. You know what I mean. Mm. Wine country. Yeah. Like, they become Italian city-states because they're so cut mm. off. And it's not like... They don't turn Italian. They don't have... Oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabagool. Not, but yeah. as far as... Uh, as far as like their economy, mm-hmm. their uh, their social and political organization, and their like military organization, it's like medieval city states. Yeah. Like we have your te- we have our territory, mm-hmm. and you have your you don't territory. come near. And we have a vineyard up on a hill mm-hmm. with like a bunch of resort and property around it. We can be friends. It. We fortify this, and yes, we can be friends about stuff, but also but also don't fuck. Yeah, friends. don't come into our territory. If you're hunting mm-hmm. deer on our land. We'll That's fucking, a crime. Yeah, we'll throw a grenade through your window. Mm. So we thought we thought it was really when we were coming up with the different regions and different like cultures. We thought it was important to always have a real world uh, like yeah. anchor. We start we mm. start by like looking essentially like we just pull up Google Maps. We look mm. at like what are the names of some of these places. We look at you know. Wine country is a great example. That's a real thing in the United States. And we like the idea that in afterlife, they still produce wine. Wine. Because, like, why not? Wine, not the <laughs> shirt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that shirt, but I want it. <laughs> um, But, you know, because they exist in a world, you know, where there is no state or federal government anymore, mm. there's also a bunch of weird sci-fi monsters out in the wilderness and uh you know and and, they have sci-fi tech too if 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 they need it like uh you know we don't say nowhere in our like world book where we explain these regions and stuff uh do we say that they these people don't or this doesn't exist here um so it's up to you to get as wacky as you want yeah but if you're, you know, if you're like, oh, well, I don't really know what to do for these guys. There's a real world example that you can pull on. So like, you know, the Great Plains, it's a nomadic people because they're large, fast and flat. So like horses and motorcycles and, you know, they they value transportation and getting places and freedom yeah. and whatever. Right. So. You know, that's and I I always get a little you know thrill of pride whenever this comes up when we um, when we play this with our players or a lot of times when we've introduced it to new people I just don't worry um, the the feedback we get is that this is an easy setting to grasp this isn't um, you know. This isn't a completely original fantasy universe spun from nothing. This is... Everything has really deep and... I'm going to dunk on uh, D&D 5e. Like, the Forgotten Realms. Like... I was going to dunk on Brandon Sanderson. Okay. Like Let's dunk on him, Stormlight then. Archives. Because we via, usually you know, dunk like on D&D. On a, Let's yeah, dunk on easy. Brian Sanderson. I don't know. Like, the Stormlight Archives is a cool sort of, you know, big epic fantasy thing. But it's like... It's basically an alien planet, uh, but presented as if it were, you know, fantasy. I can dunk and, it myself right now. Yeah. I just, like, it It exists in this, like, void of nothingness, absolutely devoid of an anchor mm-hmm. in reality. Now, that's not bad. 
like that doesn't make the Stormlight Archives bad. Mm. It does make it really hard for me to like just grasp the concept of this setting. I really like what we've created because everything has really, really strong foundations in what exists human history right now. And or did exist. Yeah, or did exist to you know varying degrees, whatever. But if you're like, you know, oh, what is uh what does the Appalachian wilderness look like in afterlife? Well, it looks kinda like how it looks now with a lot of isolated Separated, isolated communities who, you know, take care of themselves but are like very insular. Yeah, incredibly outsiders. insular and a little bit xenophobic to the point where it's really easy to write an adventure about how, you know, like coming from one of these hill people communities mm. is such a culture shock when you get to somewhere like more urban like the LSR or so, going into it mm. is like mm, they might just kill you to make sure that you can't tell anyone where they are. And in a sci-fi setting, there will be, you know, mechanical arms and laser guns and there will be and mutant robots. creatures in the woods. Right? Yeah. But it's based on, you know, a little bit of just reality. If you need an anchor, it's there. Yeah. Great segue into the next thing. And I'm going to say no thank you because I wanted to dunk on uh, at least me personally for uh. a second. Uh, so what Cosmo was saying about not it's too uh, original and out there to like grasp what's going on in the Stormlight ar- Archives and not dunk it on you. Uh, supposed to be on me. Uh, take for example, uh, if you guys are longtime listeners, uh, last year's Halloween special mm. of a Predator yeah. episode uh, with Nico as our guest star. Um, I had made a whole world and universe, you know, they're, they're space magicians and all this stuff. And it didn't turn out to be as scary as say, uh, my X-Files with Brian and Cosmo Mm -hmm. or our upcoming, wait, nope, this is after, this Uh, is after, or our recent, recent. our recent Halloween special that Cosmo ran. Uh, where you know the mundane gives you something to hold on to, and because it's mundane, when horror happens, it's twice as powerful. I think, yeah, for horror, I I certainly agree with that. I didn't have a bad time playing your mm. Halloween adventure. Well, it was just too fantastical. But know? it was, yeah, it was an incredibly fantastical setting with like, you know, I was imagining like I don't know what do continents look right. like, you know, yeah. and when you have to when you have to go that far out and imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that, and it's... It, it just takes yeah. away from the, the like, immersion yeah. a little bit. Because you're, you got to adjust your mind to think so far out the box that, oh, if that's possible, then anything is possible. So, like, this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, when it's grounded in realism, you, I know these things, and then this is weird. Yeah. It really highlights that. But if you're afterlife, right, really yeah, highlights you're that. playing afterlife, and you're gonna set an adventure in the like you know sunken uh, ruins of Florida, mm. and everybody is a rum-soaked pirate with a rusty motorboat, that's a little bit you know tropey and mm. goofy, but also like real easy to grasp onto. Right, and, and like they don't have to like 
Arr, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they not can, not a pirate like in the yeah, but not, like not in the can, Disney pirate sense, right. but like you know. Well, they don't have to because they can be you know Key West or you know the yeah. Keys Floridians who are like, hey man, just chill out, yeah. dude. We're gonna take your stuff, all right? Yeah, bunch of parrot heads. Yeah, <laughs> but with guns. And, but with guns <laughs> and robot arms, and some of them are mutants. You know? Or maybe not. Maybe they rob you while you're paying attention to the band. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's less violent. It's, yeah, they're just pickpockets, whatever. You could do whatever you want with this, mm-hmm. but the point is, you know, the we, point is, yeah. it's a vast continent ripe for exploration, which is our next highlight. Mm-hmm. So, we've talked about this. It's familiar. Basically, a lot. You it's know. familiar. Yeah. You like it, but there's so much room for exploration mm-hmm. because. It's, we didn't, you know, write pages and pages and pages of like, this is exactly how the Lone Star Republic functions. Yeah. And these are all the places within its borders. And these are all the, you know, relationships between every sub-faction. We didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't do all that. Um, what we really like is the idea of holes in a map. Right. Which. And kind of, uh, kind of grumpy on that train, uh. Fucking Patrick Ruffus, when the fuck are you putting out your next book? Yeah, come on, Thor's a stone already. But there was a moment, and like, you know, okay, King Killer is also an influence. I would say so, yeah. Um, but there's a great part in Wise Man's Fears, which is the second book yep. in the King Killer Chronicles. Yeah. Uh, where they go out into this vast forest. There's some there's some bandits who are they keep waylaying uh, the tax collectors. So they have to send a team out to find the bandits and get all the stolen tax revenue, because you know the king needs his taxes, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and the ranger in the group, yeah, is like, okay, so you can see a map of the kingdom, mm-hmm. and the map shows big forest, right? That's not very helpful to us because. It's real easy to map the edges. So that's what we did. Like, we mapped the borders of stuff. Right. And we are like, yeah, this is a region where, like, desert gives way to high plains or whatever. Mm. And, like, there's, there's like, the border and loose borders. So, mm. like, there's a transition period. But inside here, we don't know what the fuck is going on. There are a few, you know, landmarks. There are the, the ruins of cities or there's the cities anchors. that still exist. There's some anchors yeah. for you to grab. But all this space in between is like a hole know, in the map. This is a hole in the map. We drew the map because you know you can measure the borders. You can walk the edges of something and draw the edges on the map. But inside, mystery, mystery. We don't know what's going on. All of the like the deep forests in the Midwest, up and down the the Mississippi River, there are some cities that are you know like well established in real life, mm-hmm. and we think yeah those should still exist in afterlife, but. If you're just like wandering through the forest there? and you happen yeah. to find something, mm-hmm. as a game master, you can put whatever you want in these just like empty spaces on the map. You have the the freedom to create, you know, what's going on in that specific region. So, okay, your adventurers are uh, adventuring in the in the northwest, mm-hmm. right? Oregon and Washington and Idaho. Okay, what's going on there? We have borders and like suggestions about like okay, mm-hmm. we'll have there's a little know. blurb about what the like Pacific Northwest wilderness looks mm-hmm. like, but we are not going to tell you every like 
city and community up there and every faction like you the the freedom to create in this space mm, is, is un, unlimited yeah. it's 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 vast right? like, and do you run into a uh, horde of robots or do you run into a, a lich lord yeah up to you like you know i'm i'm extremely fantasy pilled right now because i've been i've been listening to black company i've been playing elden ring uh lord of the rings I'm just like all the fantasy. So what I've done with my afterlife campaign right now is I've tilted a little more fantasy where there's wizards involved and there's ancient evils waking up who have magic and there's mystical shit happening all the time. Mm -hmm. But it seems mystical. Mm. It seems mystical and magical to us characters who are just, you know, schlubs trying to adventure through a hostile landscape. But... Well, we're gonna get into it next. The uh, the magic, yeah, where right. Magic but it, comes it could from. be science. I could have easily done. Uh, well, I did it in in the uh, the Yomengander mm-hmm. adventure that I ran. It was all Castraticon. Yeah. It was all electronic and it, it felt you know, like sci-fi. It felt to us players like a you know a magical influence. Mm-hmm. Like we were in these mystical islands. What it actually was was a technology. You know, a piece of technology with like a mind control emitter that was mm. malfunctioning but trying to get someone to like unlock it. Right. Um and yeah, so you know, a there's room for fantasy, there's yeah. room for sci-fi. A vast continent with so much space to just like work in. Mm. There are there are rough borders and there are landmarks and then there is just so much blank space for you to create whatever you want. So I got I got a question. Okay. Uh, do you think all post-apocalyptic fiction is inherently sci-fi with a fantasy element, but it's always sci-fi mm. first? It's always sci-fi first. Uh, generally speaking, in our perception, I would say yes, but also I think you could argue that like the Lord of the Rings takes place is in post-apocalyptic, in post-apocalyptic okay. because. Um, you it know, was the, the apocalypse. The yeah, like before, before Sauron loses the ring, and you know the end of the second age. There was, you know, there was a region. There was like massive kingdoms of elves and everything, and that is all gone and dead. And there are ruins of the great kingdoms of men and the elves who once ruled Middle Earth, just lying everywhere. So it's pretty easy to argue, and also everyone in the Shire has forgotten that they used to be part of the North Kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just, they don't remember that anymore. Uh, and it, like, is something that Pippin talks about in the appendices. About how, like, yeah, the Took is usually the thing of the Shire, but that's not inherently a Took position. And there was some hobbits who helped fight against Angmar. Mm-hmm. But we forgot about all of that. So I think it's, I think it's fair to say that the entirety of the number one trilly. <laughs> exists in a post-apocalyptic, in post-apocalyptic. you know time so, period of right, Middle Earth. Okay. So post-apocalyptica doesn't always have to be sci-fi. No, not confined to science fiction, which mm-hmm. I think is why we felt comfortable bringing in a ton of fantasy, fantasy stuff. Yeah, and giving a lot of it, you know, kind of half-assed sci-fi 
explanation mm-hmm. for why it is a thing. It could be sci-fi. It could yeah, be fantasy. Yeah, it could just be magic, whatever. But, you don't know. You know very yeah. comfortable bringing in fantasy elements. Right, which is uh, the next highlight, of course, is uh, fantasy element. Magic. But the magic system in Afterlife is sci-fi rooted, I would say. Yes. I would I would say so. And I guess so we we talked a little bit about this in our uh episode about a long time a ago about creating a magic system cuz we were in the process of creating this magic system. Mm-hmm. Um so the way magic in afterlife works is there is a ton of radiation of unknown spectrums just like flying around all over the place right uh thank you cataclysm because of this massive solar event so there is just like the background radiation on earth is Mm -hmm. now super high of a bunch of different frequencies right so it it basically if you're looking for an anchor there it's the force Mm -hmm. right it's something that like if you have the 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 mental configuration or the mutation or if you're a robot with like the correct sensors to Mm -hmm. detect and influence you can tap into this power which is just it's radiation it's everywhere so it's it's uh yeah higher ambient radiation than normal certain attuned people can tap into it and manifest stuff Mm -hmm. so it's just like it is this well of energy mm. that is always there. And if you have the right configuration of, you know, neurons or, uh, you know, sensors and transmitters, if you're a robot, um, you can tap into it and then you can do stuff with it. You can mm. do like a Kamehameha blast or you can like, you know, melt something or you can, you know, lift and move stuff around. Mm. Taking it back to D&D because we always got to go back to D&D. It's yep. it's like the sorcerer class. It's uh, innate ability yeah. by innate, their lineage. Yeah. Innate magical ability. You don't know where it came from, but you just are magical. Mm. You don't have to be uh, like a fucking wizard who like you know writes things down in their book. You can, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be. Yeah, it's just there for your use. Mm-hmm. Where we digress from Dungeons and Dragons, which is why it's a selling point, mm-hmm. is it's very loose and malleable mm-hmm. and infinite possibilities. We and don't have spells. Yeah. We what we have is a single page in the character creation section of the book, which is a table which basically builds your spell based on what you want it to do. So you, well, it doesn't necessarily build your spell. It just builds the difficulty yeah. to whatever. So, and you can describe however it looks and mm-hmm. how you how your character manipulates the radiation to achieve mm-hmm. the desired. Like maybe they of your use spell. their hands, like yeah. you know, a classic wizard. Mm-hmm. Maybe they use their eyes, mm-hmm. or it's a, a crystal that they crush, mm-hmm. and that's where yeah. the power comes from. Whatever, but what it is is a a super simple system that builds a magical action out of. The, the range, the desired effect, and the, um, you know, the damage or the, like, story difficulty mm-hmm. allows you to essentially do anything with magic, which right. we think is very fun and, and puts a lot of the, uh, 
puts a lot of the onus on the player to be creative with it. Yeah. But if you are a creative player and you want to be just like freewheeling and wild with magic, it's very OP. We've we've created something very cool, and we're also not really interested in whether it is or is not mm. OP. We don't like, give a shit. If you're interested in using magic and you think you can do cool stuff with it. It's there. The you limitations no... exist that, like, roughly balance it Every, with other, yeah. you know, weapons and, mm. like, health and shit. But you can create or attempt anything with magic in this system. Every every playable character can access magic. Uh, we did try to balance it where magic is uh, worth more skill points. Mm-hmm. Starting out, it's worth more skill points than just a regular skill. Yeah. But you can still be a magic user and have a giant weapon. Yes. Like, magic doesn't preclude you from using weapons. It no. doesn't give you a debuff. You can be a, you know, a, a, a fully-fledged um, spell sword. Is yeah. Is that the term? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can be the... Well, and also Afterlife, you know, you can use so- melee or ranged weapons. There's guns, of course. Uh, but, like, you can have a giant machine gun and also use magic. Yeah. No limitations there. Of course, the Game Master might be like, okay, well, if you want to just kill a guy with magic, that's going to be a pretty hard roll. Yeah. Because this guy's tough and, mm-hmm. you know, this guy... Right, but if you want to crush this guy under a burnt out car, mm-hmm. that's going to be a little bit less because you're mm-hmm. great at move magic. Mm-hmm. And it might have been, you know, his mm-hmm. dumb fault for standing somewhere where he could be crushed. Right. So we did split up magic into uh, three different schools, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, and they, they, they mostly refer to the physical application mm-hmm. of them. Like if you're just, you know, if you're hurling raw boiling power. If you're using it to like move stuff around you, or if you're using it to interact with other characters mentally, right? So mind, move, change. and change. Yeah, I was going backwards from yeah, yeah, the yeah. examples you mm-hmm. said. So if you're if you're a mind wizard, you have mind magic. You can do things. You know, you enter their mind. You can mm-hmm. hurt them mentally. Your brain is like a walkie-talkie mm. to their brain, and the frequency you're connecting on is the radiation in the air between you. You can also make them see things, make them feel things. Uh, you know, you can, oh, I'm going to try a, you know, tell me what you know kind of role, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do it with my mind magic. Um, so, yeah, like the the telepath kind of anchor, right? Then there's the move magic, which is basically like bending right so like mm-hmm. i'm gonna throw a table at but it's them. it's less limited to elements because what it is is like it's it's solidifying the energy in the air mm-hmm. to like throw or lift or yeah. pull physical objects so what you're actually doing is like moving radiation mm-hmm. with your brain and the radiation is so intense that it like physically moves objects as well right so like oh there's a machine gun turret up on that hill I'm going to make it shoot Yeah. with move magic. I'm going to move the trigger mm-hmm. to in the firing position, and mm-hmm. then it blasts down on the you know the, the skeletons that are coming at you. And that wouldn't be a very hard spell to cast if you're right next to it. Mm-hmm. But if you're really far away and you want to do it in the distance, so it's like gonna... the, the action of pulling a trigger, pretty easy. 
But if you want to do it over an mm-hmm. extreme distance, it gets a lot harder. That's the way the difficulty of our magic system is set up. Mm-hmm. And then change magic is is just that. It's change magic. So changing base atoms. Yeah. There's the the radiation is in the air, but you need it to be something else. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, hard, very hard difficulty is making something out of nothing. I'm going to turn this air mm-hmm. into fire. Yeah. Okay. Hard. But like, if you have, oh, here's water. I want to turn it into ice. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we need to cross this river. Well, I'm just going to create an ice bridge. Yeah. That's going to be pretty easy because water and ice. It's and, the same you know, material same... and the same thing. Or like, you know, yeah. you go down into a cave and there's like, you know, moisture in it. Mm. And you're like, oh shit, we can't handle this robot that just attacked us. You Freeze turn that joints. You, or you turn that water into just steam, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like, mm. and mm. it's full of, you know. Smoke screen. Yeah. And now that didn't cost anything. That was really easy. You mm. just, you, you turned the water into a slightly different state. But if you wanted to like take a lump of sand and turn it into a receiver for your rifle that got broken in a car crash. Mm. Hard. You could do it, but it's hard. You'd be, you know, taking a lot of a different kind of material, mm-hmm. melting it with, you know, primordial fire, basically, and turning it into a different atomic structure. So, but that is a magic that you can do. It's it's up to the game master to uh, put limits on magic. We have, yeah, the short document, the short table that gives some guidelines. Um, but of course, you know, it's up to the game master. If something is like just too game breaking, they can say no. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can also say yes. Mm-hmm. So they can, they can be like, you can try. You can try. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, other characters can use magic. And because of this mm-hmm. like free wheeling yeah, yeah. system, the, um, you know, if you, if you run, uh, an arc mage, out of the back of the monster manual for your players in a Dungeons and Dragons game, you are limited to that Archmage's stats and the spells that that Archmage mm. knows. As a game master, you are not limited. You you have no such constraints in Afterlife when you attack your players with a magical right. character. Like, I, I made a character. I'm not really sure what magic they used, uh, but they, they, like, vanished and appeared in a different spot. Mm-hmm. And I'm unsure because I hadn't flushed out that type of uh, character or, you know, enemy. And they're going to probably come back and it's going to be cool. But at that time, I was like, I don't know what kind of, if they're <laughs> using mind magic or move magic, uh, but they're magic. So yeah. this is what happens. And that's, you know, a, a quick digression is a little 10 minute of game mastery Mm. that I really like. Like it is not important. I don't think for, um, enemy characters to be limited to the same like spells or, you know, whatever the same action economy, the Mm. same, uh, movement restrictions, whatever. It's, it's not important for enemies to play by the same rules as player characters. I think, I think I agree. Mostly. I think to keep it fair, there should be some like, semblance of like i'm trying to play by the same rules Mm -hmm. but story stuff doesn't shouldn't be restrained by the dice rolls like if you want to move you know your monster from a to b you shouldn't have like if you roll and fail that 
but like it's super cool that they did like you know oh you attack them and they zap out of there and appear behind you i think that's fine but like if you know you're trying to kill them like you do damage to them they Mm -hmm. should still follow some sort form of uh established rules because then uh it's basically you take the fun of the dice out of it, right? Mm. So, like, if they try to attack the character, they should play it by the same rules. Yeah. But if they're doing something cool narratively, mm-hmm. and don't need to. Completely different, yeah, then they don't have to. Like, you know, they jumped up mm. They jumped up to a bunch of different levels and squeezed through a little right. crack, and now they're gone, and you have to keep chasing mm-hmm. them. And you can you can get around that because, you know, you're the game master, you're the, the narrator. So, like, oh, the players come in and just, like, fucking roll great and kill according to the dice rolls kill your big bad character but like you didn't want them to die that like it was all set up for a different thing you had planned well then just fudge it Mm. right then the big bad gets away he gets really hurt but like you didn't kill him Mm. so i think you know there's yes they shouldn't be but also don't be an asshole yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, don't be an asshole. Just don't be an asshole. Hey, that's just good advice. Yeah. Put it on the board. Put it on the board. All right. So the last thing we want to talk about is, um, as a this, this is a unique selling point, we think, of uh, Afterlife. This is more talking about the game system that we've created. Mm-hmm. And we call it vibing mechanics. We call it, uh, you know, these are the mechanics that we came up with that are different from other, you know, maybe more familiar role-playing games that we believe reinforce the vibes of this post-apocalyptic fantasy that we want to get mm. across. Gritty is is the term that I most use to describe uh, these mechanics. Um, just because it's gritty doesn't mean it has to be grim dark. No. You can have it's a very not, silly yeah. but gritty adventure. Mm-hmm. The tone, um, The tone of the story is up to you. But the uh, the vibes of the mechanics are gritty as in, like, you know, when when you're in combat, that's when, like, the rules really come into play. And you have to stick to, like, this is how fast you move. This mm-hmm. is how far you can shoot. These are how many actions you have. Um, this is how much damage you yeah, can take. Yeah, this is, and, yeah, your um, your toughness, which I guess this is a good one to talk about. So... We we have a unique combat and damage system. It is uh, in in the parlance of game design, it's a death spiral. So we don't have hit points that are you know reduced by damage dice. What we have is a table of negative effects mm-hmm. that slowly build up on characters until they die. Um, they apply to NPCs the same way they apply to um, player characters. And the reason that is is because some of them are pretty gruesome. Some of them are like your arm gets blown off, or you know, like you've you got, got a, a concussion. Sucking check, uh, sucking check. Uh, hold on, give me one more try. Sucking chest wound. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the way this works is weapons and attacks have a damage value. That damage value is reduced by a character's. So if an attack hits, you rolled a hit, mm-hmm. right? Um, and your and, and your attack hits. To assess damage, you take the defending character, the character who was attacked. Mm-hmm. You take their toughness, what we called it, mm-hmm. their toughness value, which is augmented by armor. 
Yes. If they're wearing armor, it's or, higher. And their shield. But yeah, shields and stuff. That's a different thing. Yeah. So you take their toughness value and you subtract it from the damage value. Yeah. Which will give you a result, uh, a level. On a table. Of hurt. Yeah. On a table. So say I shoot a character. My character is a gunslinger. He shoots another guy and his gun does 20 damage. But the guy he shot has 10 toughness. So that 20 value is, is reduced, reduced to, to 10. 10. You go to 10 on the combat effects table. You find the level of hurt, mm -hmm. and then you roll a dice for randomization. Yeah. And that uh, each each tier of the damage table gets more intense the and The higher more damage that actually gets through becomes more punishing. Yeah. So you roll a d10, and you find out, mm -hmm. like, oh, they have a leg wound. They have a concussion. They have an outright kill. Mm. That is, at a certain point on the table, you start to get you just, just straight kill kills. Somebody. You don't fuck their toughness. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. They're dead. Mm -hmm. And that is all to reinforce the gritty idea that, like, this is a post-apocalypse where, you know, you are scraping. You make one and, mistake. Yeah, you make one mistake, done. you suck a bullet, and you're dead. Um, there's... You know, the potential to, like, suffer an amputation. Mm. If you get stabilized, you can, you know, get taken back to town and you can live without an arm or you can get a robot arm, whatever. That's a an issue that you'd have to deal with your game master with. But um, the the lethality and the, you know, like, gruesomeness of combat. Effects. Yeah, right, and so, lasting. That's, right, that's like, like it's lot, pervasive. There's... At the lower tiers of the damage table, there's glancing blow, right? That's like one HP gone, which makes you more um, susceptible to further damage, right? The more your toughness goes down, the higher likely something bad's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? But after a glancing blow, it starts to get harder, as in more pervasive. So like, oh, there's a knockdown. You lose an action. Oh, you get a leg wound. Your speed is debuffed oh you get a concussion all your rolls are debuffed because you got a fucking concussion oh you got an arm off minus five dexterity mm. right so they don't just like oh you don't just tick off health points on the sheet you have to deal with these these wounds yeah so we're we're really proud of that. We really like how yeah. that works. It's it's much more interesting than just like rolling for damage. I don't mind that system, especially for like, you know, fantasy stuff, but we've come up with something that's very interesting. We also have uh, a system of mods and mutations mm -hmm. where um by looking up the desired effect that you want, mm -hmm. you can give your character basically anything you want. So right. if you so, want like a, a scope that makes your rifle more likely to hit, mm. you can pay points in your loadout to get something like that. Right in your character creation. So it's like uh, it's like feats in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, where it, it modifies the equipment and abilities you already have. Uh, like a common one is you know night eyes or you know dark vision. So I have a mutation where I can see in the dark. Okay, well, how well do you see in the dark? Mm -hmm. You can spend points on your character creation. The more points you spend, the better that ability is going to be. So like, oh, I spend a lot of points to do dark vision. So when you're trying to perceive things with your eyes in the dark, 
you get a much higher bonus. So like, oh, I have a plus seven, you know, mod or plus seven mutation mm -hmm. to my roll because it's dark and I'm trying to see the way, right? So it basically, and like, you know, that's a classic example, but you could be anything you want. You yeah. could have a mod mm -hmm. where um, I have shiny teeth. Mm. That can blind people. And that's, that that's the idea. Like it allows you... People. Um, yeah, you could use that for basically anything, mm -hmm. right? But it allows you to, like, make the character you want. You'd be like, okay, my character is a gamma mutant. We don't have classes um, or, uh, like, archetypes. We just have a couple of species, and then you build a character based on loadout and attributes. Mm -hmm. So you can spend some of your loadout points on these um, uh, on these mutations or whatever. You'd be like, my guy has six arms mm. and you could just spend most of your points on, you know, increasing his like strength and dexterity yeah. um, through this modification system and, you know, have a character whose stats reflect however you want to like imagine these characters. If you're like the kind of guy who draws your mm. character and you come up with a really interesting, like unique mutant design or a robot who, you know, is configured in a certain way. You can use these really interesting and just like free mechanics to um, reflect in your dice rolls and your stats the way you imagine your character to be. Yeah. And we think that fucking rules. Right. Because you can, if you just, if you feel creative, you can. You can do anything. Yeah. You can do anything. And of course, you know, it's up to the game master to say yes or no. Well, like, the potential is unlimited. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a guy with six arms who attacks six times. Just square that with your game master. How many points do I have to spend on mm -hmm. this mutation or mod mm -hmm. to do this? To get, yeah, to spend this more. And that's laid out in the loadout section mm -hmm. of, you know, where you equip your character when you're doing character creation of, you know, what you get in exchange for how many points. Yeah. Which we fucking love. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I think all of these highlights come down to one thing where we really wanted endless potential. So however creative you are, there's space for it in Afterlife. Whatever you come up with, whatever wacky shit your players come up with, it makes sense and there's room for it. Yeah. So, that's... Fucking play Afterlife. Yeah, fucking Afterlife. Um, so, we talked about our history, our sort of, our influences and the years of iterations that went into creating what this is. We talked about the uh, fictional history of this setting, to give you a primer. And we talked about what we think are some of the really cool, unique selling points of this game versus other you know what makes it unique versus other role-playing why you would play this versus other mm -hmm. we talked about history and familiarity we talked about a vast continent ripe for exploration we talked about a uh really free and interesting magic system and we talked about the other game mechanics that we think reinforce the vibes of the fiction we're trying to spin for you um we're really proud of this we're really stoked on this uh, that's going to do it for, you know, what we have to say about it for now. But, um, if you're interested and I hope you are, you should visit 2hgm.com. 
you'll find links to uh, buy and download this, our, this, this specifically Afterlife. Afterlife. We have a lot of other stuff too, we but today we're talking about Afterlife, which is should something be, special. Yeah, should be up there. And uh, yeah, we're stoked. So we would love it if you gave us a look. Also, you know, we'd love it if you were a patron. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, you get some perks with that. You get access to the Discord, uh, maybe some Afterlife content. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't tell anybody. No, some stuff. no, actually, fucking tell everybody. Yeah, tell everybody. Get on this shit. Um, we also have a Twitter, and yeah. We've got some other stuff, but we are talking about our Afterlife product right now, which, you know, go check out our website, see where it is, and yeah, fucking check us out. Uh, Thank you to the Burning Saviors for their the use of their song, Pontillo's Finest, on in our intro and outro. Mm-hmm. And we will see you next time. We'll see you next time. Check out after. Do it.